Welcome to season one of Writing Around the Kids podcast. We've got a brilliant selection of women writers for you who each week will be telling us about the highs and lows of what it is to be a writer in the world. And they're also going to be reading from one of their books, so it's going to be totally ace. We really hope you enjoy it. And welcome to Writing Around the Kids. I'm Sam. Hi, and I'm Anna. And we're delighted to welcome today Rosie Walker. Hello, Rosie. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you guys today. It's so nice to have you. Um, I'll just introduce Rosie to get started. Um, Rosie is the author of two novels, Secrets of a Serial Killer from 2020 and The House Fire from 2022, both published by HarperCollins Imprint, One More Chapter. Rosie lives in Edinburgh with her husband, Kevin, daughter, Elsie, and their dog, Bella. She has a master's in creative writing from University of Edinburgh and an undergraduate degree in psychology from Lancaster University. And she's currently working on her third novel. It's okay with you. We're going to dive straight in and ask you to do a reading from your most recent book, The House Fire. Um, I'm just going to read the blurb and then hand over to you if that's okay. Perfect. Um, So a tired old seaside town hiding a series of unsolved arson attacks. A derelict mansion in the woods with a long buried secret. A bundle of old love letters that mask a dark story. When Jamie's documentary investigation gets too close to uncovering the truth behind a series of deadly arson attacks that tormented Abby Wick in the 1980s, her family might be the ones who pay the price. But for her youngest sister, Cleo, the secrets Jamie's uncovered have the potential to get exactly what Cleo wants, to remove her mum's toxic new husband from their lives forever. All it takes is one spark to send everything up in smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And would you be happy to just kind of contextualise the bit that you're going to read before you read it, if that's okay, Rosie? Yes, absolutely. The the bit that I'm going to read is from one of, it's one of the opening scenes of the novel. And it is from in the perspective of Cleo, who is the teenage daughter in the family. And um, she is watching her mum marry, um, who is to be Cleo's new stepdad. He's called Ant. And she absolutely hates him. And this wedding is the inciting incident of the book because it triggers everything else. At the front of the church, mum and Ant gaze into each other's eyes. There's a glint of silver at the bottom of his shirt sleeve. He's wearing a thumb ring. Stop fiddling! Gran lays a hand on Cleo's arm, her skin smooth like tissue paper. Gran's hand slides away from Cleo's arm as she goes back to fanning her face with the order of service, looking up at Mum and Aunt with a smile. Cleo reaches each of her hands up to her armpits to yank up her new dress. Lucas glances over at her and smirks. She elbows him in the ribs. Stop staring at my boobs. His cheeks turn red and he drops the smirk. Why would I want to look at your flat chest? He rakes his fingers through his blonde hair. He's borrowed his dad's shirt, too wide for his skinny torso, but too short in the sleeves. He's hilarious without meaning to be. Cleo slumps down in her seat with a sigh. She can't believe this is happening. Her throat constricts like she's trying not to laugh or cry or something. It's all she can do not to shake her head, scream and shout. It would be noble to stand up. She could yell, I object, don't marry this man. She could rescue mum from him. They would all go back to the way it was before Ant showed up in their lives and turned everything upside down. She'd get mum back. But to all the family and friends in the chapel, it wouldn't seem like a rescue. It would look like she ruined mum's wedding. 
Typical Cleo, they'd say. Such an attention seeker. Such a child. She looks down at her sandals and her blue-painted toenails. Mum says she's happy with him. That he treats her like a queen. Cleo needs to remember that. It would mean everything to Mum if Cleo looked up right now, smiled at Aunt and gave a nod. But she can't. She squeezes her lips together and pups out her cheeks. Aunt turns and scans the faces of the guests. He's not smiling. He almost looks angry, like he's checking for an uninvited guest. Suddenly, he looks straight at Cleo and raises an eyebrow at her with a half-smile. A challenge. Last chance. She tightens her arms across her chest and frowns at him. He looks away, pretends he didn't see. But Cleo knows he did. Gran nudges her with her elbow. Sit up straight, she whispers, and smile. It is now my honour and delight to declare you husband and wife. You may seal your vows with a kiss. Well, she's shown them. She didn't ruin the wedding. Look how mature she is. As the congregation claps, Cleo whispers her own vow. I vow to get Ant out of our lives forever. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Rosie, for sharing that part of the novel with us. Um, I absolutely love the book and did not see a lot of the twists come in. I think it's, yeah, you are obviously a master of that, that kind of like, you know, yeah, how did that happen? Like, where, where, you know, gosh, that was the last thing I was expecting to happen. I think that that's, it seems to be the case with both of your books as well. Um, Have you always wanted to write psychological thrillers? Did you always know that this was the genre you wanted to, to kind of explore? Um, I think I've always, interested in the way that people's minds work you know I've got, I've got a psychology degree and like it was I was I was bored by this but the parts about the ways people minds work people's minds work and the, and the different different types of people that exist in the world that was always the most interesting thing to me but when I started writing I didn't know that thrillers and psychological thrillers was was where my interest would be. and I start I try to write all sorts of different things and often with hilarious results, like I thought literary fiction was just like, you've got a miserable person and nothing really happens to them at the end. So I'd write, <laughs> I wrote that for quite a lot of the time. And um, and then and I went through a Laurie Lee phase where I'd read like um, Cider with Rosie and yeah. um, and then I read quite a bit of H.E. Bates, you know, The Darling Buds of May. So I went through a phase where I was trying to like describe all the flowers and the plants and still nothing happened. And um, it wasn't until I got an agent for the, um, for a secret to a serial killer that and she kind of my agent's called Charlotte and Charlotte kind of taught me um what a twist is and why you use them and how to and she like made me put a prologue in to kind of foreshadow everything and like really taught me about how important things actually happening <laughs> is in fiction and um and that was when I became a proper a proper writer. <laughs> I see. So you got you had your agent then before you'd finished writing the secrets of a serial killer. I, got, I, I did submit a complete novel to to an agent, but it was very short when it went out of submission. It was about sixty five thousand words. Yeah, and um, and it did have an art plot, but it was missing the kind of what I now see as kind of the, the typical thriller and. Um, it didn't have a big twist it just had mm-hmm. a very straightforward plot and it was very clear from the beginning who did it right <laughs> um 
and and I had to and I, I had read quite a lot of stuff it wasn't I wasn't reading in the genre but I think I didn't have to kind of show me what ingredients were were typical of that genre yeah and, have you found that your styles developed then in so, so from um working in that way for your first novel you're, you're working on your third at the moment do you find that you it's easier to plan out now now you've kind of you've you've got your um, your approach to, to how you write did I learn so much working with my agent on the first one um because I did have to go back and like pull it completely apart and completely replot it a lot of spreadsheets were involved in that and because I'm not I'm not a pantser I'm not a kind of write write it make it up as I go along person I do enjoy the planning stage but I don't do that while I'm writing because I feel like I can't do but I can't make stuff up so I, I think subsequent books my second and my third I have been really meticulous with the plotting in advance of sitting down to write the opening chapters uh, and there's always a point where you have to go back and be like oh this isn't working because I've broken it <laughs> so what would that look like then so um in terms of like your workspace then are you is it all very tidy and you've just kind of like got a spreadsheet that you work from or have you got everything mapped out on the walls how much do you do in terms of all that preparation and what does that look like before you sit down and start writing uh both with the walls and the spreadsheet actually this time anyway um with um my third book uh, I started writing it when I was pregnant with my daughter and um and then she through the draft and I thought I'll keep going you know I've got I've got to get writing words on the page and it doesn't matter if they're rubbish I can go back and fix it later and I kind of put blinkers on and kept going with my spreadsheet and followed the plan I'd made. I thought it's forty five thousand words. I thought this is this is not working. I'm I'm yeah. bored by my book. Not enough is happening. And I read back what I've got, and like it was all in the main character's head, and not, nothing, no real action on the page. And I think because I was like in the of like new baby world, yeah, I yeah. just kind of I hadn't had the headspace to look at it and think this isn't working, I need to try again. So what I then did was I stuck a big piece of paper on the wall and I um, I used a book actually called, um, it's a, based on a screenplay for novelists or something like that. And um, it you break up your piece of paper into, um, I think it's eight sections. Yeah. Um, so your, your act one has sections and then your act two has four sections and your act three has two sections again your act two is the meaty one and I stuck loads of post-it notes all over it um with different types of scenes that I wanted to have once I kind of felt like I'd got a full plot on my post-its on the wall which is really yeah. good because you can move them around and stuff and make sure that they're all in the right place then I put it on a spreadsheet and made a chapter plan based on that so I used used both I think that um the post-it and big piece of paper um method is really brilliant I actually I went to a workshop about using post-its in plotting years and years ago um and yeah I keep forgetting that th that really works for me <laughs> I do think that probably writers almost single-handedly keep post-it notes yeah going. keep post-it notes <laughs> industry alive so in terms of your your writing routine then what does what does that look like Have, if you what's it what's a like a average writing day in the life of Rosie Walker look like? So my writing routine, I feel like I've only just found one, actually. My daughter's now 18 months old. And um, 
before now everything shifted all the time you know her naps would change and like every day was different and just now it's got to the point where I can actually start a writing routine and it's fantastic um because I think before now I kind of had this um I really didn't like when people said you have to write every day because if you if you don't you're not going to succeed and I don't I don't ascribe to that at all I don't think that's accurate but I do find that when I do write every day, I can keep a momentum going and it really, really helps because as I'm going to sleep the night before, I can think about what I've written that day and what I'm going to write the next day. So what's working really well right now is that every morning before my husband starts work, he'll he'll have breakfast with our daughter. And in that hour, in that, in that 45 minutes to an hour, that's my writing hour. And it is amazing how much you can write when you know you only have a very short amount of time. Um, So I will cram as many words into that 45 minutes as I can. And then my husband's working day starts and my day with my daughter starts. Um, And but what what then happens is that while I'm hanging out with my daughter, I'm, I'm still thinking about what I've just written and what could what could come next. And I have a lot of ideas and I have like that percolation time so that when I sit down at the desk the, the next day, um, everything everything comes out really well and it's it's richer for that for that routine and it's working really really well so I'm really pleased to now have a routine for the first time in my entire writing career yeah it's amazing isn't it when you think about how much you can get done in an hour post children I think if I knew what I was capable of in a really short period of time now before I had children we'd all be running the country yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. do you keep that routine like on the weekend as well then I try to, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's sometimes not as um, religiously kept to, but um, it does help if I if I can, yeah. Yeah. And um, you say that you, you know, you kind of like read within your genre as well. Is it is it is it mainly psychological thriller that you read then for for pleasure, or are there other things that you enjoy? Like, you know, what does your yeah, what's what's on your bookshelf? I alternate a little bit between psychological thrillers, which I kind of read to see how other people approach it. I enjoy them, but what I really love is like it's women's fiction and a little bit of romance, rom com. Like I just love the escapism and yeah. the um, enjoyment of it. And like writers like um, Taylor Jenkins Reid and Leanne Moriarty, and yeah. um, I just think it's. I, I don't necessarily want to spend my downtime in horrible places where horrible things happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's changed as well since having the baby? Because I definitely um, I think I read lighter stuff a lot of the time. Mm. Um, yeah, more I think than, it has. Before I had kids. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Is there a book that you would go back to to read more than once I mean at the moment there's just so many absolutely brilliant books out there that there just isn't enough time to read to to be read kind of stacked but is there if you had to go back to something is there is there a book that you return to when you you know when you want that escapism oh that's a good question so I can answer that in a few different ways for the escapism (laughs) um I there's a book that I read probably about every five years and I read it when I when I just had my baby and it was like the one that I read like over her head in the middle of the night during yeah. uh, during night feeds and stuff and that's um coming home by Rosamund Pilcher it's like the most old lady book that you would ever <laughs> ever discover it's like a family saga set across the second world war um and I just I love it so much 
so much so that I actually find the main character a little bit annoying now because she's like she feels like a sister you know yeah <laughs> I've read it so many times and then for for coming back things to come back to um because I'm from a writer I really would like to reread um How to Disappear by Gillian McAllister because the way that she structures things is that I think looking going back to the beginning that many different twists and turns would really teach me something hopefully yeah Gillian McAllister is a name that comes up a lot and do you know what I don't think I've read anything uh by her so I need to I need to definitely put that on my uh to read pile she's just got one out at the moment hasn't she um wrong place wrong time is that right it's coming out next week yeah um I've, yeah. I've read that actually proof copy of that and uh it's mm-hmm brilliant it's amazing it's one of these um there's quite a few books out right now that are a bit like groundhog day and they play with time and time travel yeah um and it's it's a really really popular little mini genre of things and that's what wrong place wrong time is and that's another one that i could happily go back to the beginning of just how she plays around and what i really like about her books is that character driven and they also have a really emotional element like when I read How to Disappear I cried and I yeah. rarely cry at books but she manages to do twists and turns and like heart-wrenching stuff at the same time which I think is brilliant. I think also having the capacity to be able to write things where you play around with time I think that in itself is extraordinary because you know, I've written things where it's been like a dual timeline and that in itself drove me absolutely crackers when we're talking about the the post-it notes I just yeah I think I looked like a psychic like it just <laughs> had kind of post-it notes absolutely <laughs> everywhere to try and work out what happened when so then to kind of play like backwards and forwards with time that's yeah yeah yeah, even, really yeah even a straightforward timeline you can get yourself in twists and turns <laughs> so yeah with the um, time travel as well so, totally in terms of your characters, Rosie, because all of your characters feel like really well rounded, very realistic. Like the the relationships that you create, the the kind of like the the friendships, but also the, that that kind of prickly sense of like absolute dis, like hatred that's between characters as well. It feels extremely, extremely um, real and believable. Like, how do you what how much what do you do to be able to kind of create these characters that feel like they're rounded full people that is a wonderful compliment thank you so much that's really (laughs) nice um I what I do so they kind of I've never been one of those people who kind of fills in a little character questionnaire sheet before Mm -hmm. I start writing a book um I think for me they they come to me as a kind of almost like a part of a little section of my personality at the beginning they're just like what how would what would I do if I was in this situation and I felt like this person does um but then as I, as the book continues like I think I write myself into a more crystallized idea of who this person is so on subsequent drafts I can go back and I can identify when what a character might say that's a bit more in line with the character they've become in my mind and um but in no means is there that much preparation or kind of I'm not like method acting my uh, my writing or anything like that. But I think essentially they're a little piece of me, except the psychos. I'm not a psychopath. Um, <laughs> Just to be. But mostly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So um, 
we're getting towards sort of the end of time now. So I just wanted to um, ask you what advice you'd give to someone who was starting out as a writer. Oh, good question. Um, finish your first draft. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> like that was that was for me, I talked about wanting to write for years and years and years. And I and I did write very regularly um, after I graduated from my creative writing masters in 2011 but it wasn't until 2017 where I said you, I I can't live with myself if I don't finish a novel draft yeah. in my lifetime like this is something that I have to show myself that I can do and from that moment I was just like that is my goal and then when I finished that draft then I could say to myself okay I've done that brilliant I know I can and my next goal was polish it up get it good enough to find or to submit to the three agents and so yeah, yeah that the, the writer's changing the goalposts thing definitely um yeah. but it's always like the the finishing of the draft I think is the absolutely most important thing oh that's brilliant thank you so much Rosie and for um people who are listening if they want to find you how can we find you on socials and how can they get uh, their hands on your books um, my books are for sale in from most from your favourite um, book retailer. <laughs> yeah, um, it's in what I think it's definitely for sale through Waterstones and Blackwells and um, and independent bookshops as well and the uh, the big places. And then um, social media. My Twitter is Cider with Rosie. Um, my that. website is www.rosiejanewalker.com and I think my Instagram is uh, Rosie Walker author I think <laughs> brilliant so thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing your, your experience and um, yeah and, and for reading from your book as well it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and we can't wait to read book three as Yay. well <laughs> thank you so much for having me it's been really nice to talk to you both Thanks, Rosie. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed that Writing Around the Kids podcast. For lots of information about writing and writing prompts and tips, have a look at our website, www.writingaroundthekids.co.uk. And search Writing Around the Kids to find us on all our socials. And please like and subscribe to this podcast.